Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, so welcome back to the next episode of Resilience Unraveled. And and um, I've just met my guest, Matthew Fox, for the first time. He's telling me about dancing in Sheffield. And um, I'm really looking forward to hearing all about this because this sounds to be an interesting podcast of all the many interesting podcasts that we have. Um, So first of all, good evening, Matthew, how are you? Good evening and good morning. Since I'm in California, Russell, it's good to meet you. And how is it in California these days? Still suffering with gorgeous weather, beautiful climate, everything being marvelous? Well, I wish we could say that, but as you know, there's been droughts here and wildfires. Right today is an extreme wind right outside my house. Really? But um, hopefully we're holding our own. But it is part of the the climate change uh, crisis we're all living through, isn't it? That, uh, I'm coming to San Diego Even very in California, soon. we can't count on the blue skies anymore. No, yeah. so I just look at my background, you see, you're actually in Hawaii. <laughs> So, um, well, first of all, thank you for joining me today. I'm very um, looking forward to much, very much looking forward to the chat. Um, why don't you tell me just a little bit about yourself and the sort of work that you do? Yes, well, um, I'm a, a spirituality um, theologian, and I've been uh, studying the, the experiential side, the experiential side of religion for years and writing books. And um, um, I ran into some what should I say, detours along the way, including uh, the Vatican, the previous two papacies, not the present Pope, but they were um, pretty upset when I wrote a book called Original Blessing. It kind of blew the roof off the Vatican. They, they're very invested in original sin back then. And um, whereas I think, you know, when you listen to science, we got 13.8 billion years brought us here. Uh, Sin is something humans came up with about 250,000 years ago. So I think there's a bit of a lacuna there to leave the, the blessing, the goodness out. And even the Bible, Genesis 1, doesn't even mention sin. It's all about the goodness of creation. It unfolds. And, of course, science is in a way, in its own way, saying the same thing, that, hey, without some wonderful uh, decisions along the way, we wouldn't have an earth, and we wouldn't have life, and we wouldn't have human life on earth. So... Uh, why begin religion with sin? Uh, you're not going to get out of sin, I don't think, without beginning with the goodness. And this lady over my shoulder, a good English woman, mystic of the 14th century, Julia Norwich, who lived through the worst pandemic ever in Europe, the, pan- the bubonic plague of the 14th century. Yeah. 
she says God is the goodness in nature, the goodness in nature. And, um, you know, that's pretty different from a lot of preachers who've been, who've been telling us other stories over the years. Yeah. So my message, uh, I think, is authentic. And uh, But two papacies called it, quote, dangerous and deviant silenced me for a year, and three years later, they kicked me out of the Dominican order after 34 years. So then um, young people from Sheffield, England showed up at a conference we we're doing, and they had reinvented the liturgy using rage, using dance, DJ, VJ, rap, all these new art forms. And I said, no, this is worthwhile. So since the Pope didn't need me anymore, he fired me, I went to Episcopal Bishop in San Francisco and said, I'd like to join the Anglican Church um, for one reason only, to work with young people, to bring life back to ritual and worship in the West. And he said, go for it. He gave me a green light. So, so that's a bit of a summary of my story. <laughs> well, okay. And there's quite a lot there to unpack. So uh, let's, let's have a look yeah. at that first of all. So can you tell me a little bit about the difference between uh, spirituality and religion, for example? Because of course, that's where you start in a sense. Yeah, I think religion has evolved to be mostly about social structures. When you hear the word religion, you think, oh, church or Vatican or, or um, bills to pay or something like that. But spirituality is kind of the essence of it. It's the inner, the inner work that we do. Now, Thomas Aquinas, one of my great uh, a Dominican uh, pal of mine from the 13th century, a great uh, theologian, he says that um, the essence of Religion is supreme gratitude and thankfulness. So that's spirituality. You know, he didn't say the essence of religion is buildings or, or hierarchy or seminaries. Uh, that the essence is this sense of gratitude for life. Supreme. He even calls it supreme gratitude. And I think that's really rich. Uh, and um, so spirituality deals with the awe and wonder and joy of living. It also deals with grief and suffering and, and silence. Silence is very rich and important. That's what meditation is, contemplation is. But I also think it's about creativity. I think our creativity is, 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 work, is co-creating, if you will, with the spirit. The spirit is all about creativity. In fact, Aquinas says, there's a beautiful teaching on the artist. He says, the same spirit that hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation hovers over the mind of the artist at work. And I really like that. That means your work, your creative work as a journalist and a podcast former and all that, that's that kind of creativity that we need so badly in the world today. We have to reinvent the way we're living, don't we? Reinvent energy and all these energy sources and everything. And then another part of creativity is justice making, is finding some balance in our own lives in our and in our community lives. And so compassion and justice are integral to spirituality. So to me, those are the heart of spirituality. And um, I think a lot of people are hungry for that today, but they don't want to go through the churches. I think that it's just too too much of a, of a trip, a labyrinth to get so, through that. So, so that's, I'm, I'm pleased you brought that up because actually when you talk about meditation and mindfulness and all these things, I've just skills and practices from a different form of spirituality from a different part of the world really that's that's it so so you you think spirituality is like sort of a guiding integrative idea and religion is just a sort of form of control perhaps well, i wouldn't say that i mean um but it it can fall into that it can fall religion could fall into that it, and you know it 
comes and goes with with er different eras and different moments in time and all that. But yeah, but spirituality is the essence. And I don't, you know, people think you have to go east to learn meditation, but the truth is that a lot of our ancestors meditated too. Um, uh, but we forgot that because religion in the West became so um, well and often linked to empire building and politics. Therefore, and uh, you know, it wandered from its from its deeper place, the, yes. the deeper places of spirituality. But is you know, for example, Dr. Suzuki is the Japanese Buddhist who brought Zen to to the West, and he used to say that uh, Meister Eckhart, who was a 14th century Dominican, uh, great mystic, that he was a Zen thinker, that he he knew Zen. And so Eckhart often talks like Buddhists talk about emptying the mind and so forth. And he says to, to um, I pray God to rid me of God and things like that, that a lot of people, um, what can I say, uh, get interested in yeah. uh, because he's critical of language, religious language that could become very stale and um, uh, destructive, really. So uh, we have to dig deep into our own heritage as Westerners to find these messages that you can also find in other traditions, too. But, you know, it works both ways. I have a friend right now. He woke me up at two this morning because he's in Spain and he's a Buddhist. He's originally from from uh, uh, Thailand, but he's doing a pilgrimage on the a road to St. James Capostello. And this is about the fourth or fifth time he's done, but he wrote me because he saw a sign to Fatima. <laughs> and so we, we, you know, we're texting at two this morning, my time. Uh, so it's working both ways today. I think many in the East are very interested in Jesus and what he stood for and why he got killed by the empire. And, you know, what's all that about, you know? On the other hand, a lot of uh, Westerners um, find the grass greener on the Eastern side than on the Western side yeah. this time in history. Where, where do you stand on practices like Taoism and such like? Because they, they, oh, seem, right. to, they seem to be quite fascinating ideas. And it's interesting well, your point about fad, not fads, but um, themes or trends, because that seems yeah. to be really emerging, doesn't it? Yes, and practices, because practices mm. are at the heart of spirituality. You know, we, we have to develop habits of, um, but you know, uh, your own Rupert Sheldrake, the scientist there, oh, yeah, he, he's just written two fine books on um, practices and from a scientific point of view, why, for example, he talks about pilgrimages, that's one chapter, or fasting, another chapter, or meditation and so forth. And he is a practicing Anglican, practicing Christian. So um, uh, practices are really important. And of course, the, the um, I mean, I practice Tai Chi, but I love the Tao Te Ching. I think I think the the Taoist Bible, if you call it that, the Tao Te Ching is one of the most incredible books a human human beings have ever produced. It's just yeah. utterly full of wisdom and and uh, but um, and you know there are many practices that Buddhists do and uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, whom I whom I knew, uh, a great soul, and uh, he left us with lots of simple practices such as walking meditation and um, breathing in and breathing out and, um, you know, listening to the breath. Uh, the word breath, you know, in languages around the world, including biblical languages, is the same word as spirit. So uh, 
like spirit, breath is invisible, but hey, it matters. If you've ever been there, when a child is born, their first breath is pretty special. Or when someone dies, their last breath is pretty memorable. But in between, we can easily take our breaths for granted. And this is what something like uh, breathing consciously, you might say, can really help us to be grateful for breath. And in this day and age, like here in Northern California, when you got wildfires now, you know, there are days when we're told you can't go outdoors, you can't walk your dog because the air is so bad out there because of wildfires. So, you know, we can't take breath for granted anymore. We can't take clean water for granted. I mean, this is what's happening. And so I think it is return to the sense of the sacred. That's what spirituality is about. You know, we can't take forests for granted or clean water for granted or the other animals that are going extinct, hand over fist. You know, so that's all a mystical consciousness, learning to appreciate the simple things, but necessary things of life. So we've moved a long way from the Aquinas idea of supreme gratitude because we don't even consider our own natural environment is to be anything more than a resource, really. We sort of recast some of the ways of thinking about our environment, haven't we? Exactly. And what all these things really are, are sacred. They are sacred. And, you know, we've been thinking, oh, going to church is sacred or something. No, nature is sacred. And, and indigenous people know this, but pre-modern people know this. Like Aquinas was pre-modern. Mm. He says, revelation comes in two volumes, nature and the Bible. And that's Julian, too, saying that, that God is the goodness in nature. And so don't take it for granted. There's something holy there. And I think a lot of people are finding that today, and they realize that nature is a gift. And, of course, science is telling us that, you know, we've got... A lot of planets out there, but so far, none as as hospitable or beautiful or diverse as ours. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting thing that we've all come through this lockdown process. And I think we've Mm -hmm. started to realize this, this idea that humans are social animals and that we need to be able to collaborate and get along. Um, But we seem to now be going into a very, um, at the point of realising that need to to collaborate and get along, we seem to be going to that opposite extreme of fighting and falling out with each other. And we seem to have lost that sense of community, that sometimes spiritualism or that idea of belief um, can give us, that that sort of um, collegiate belief or shared consciousness. And I mean, that's what religion did did sort of... um, um, it was a symbol of religion in the sense it was going to church and such like. Do you, do you think there's something lacking in spirit because of a lack of belief, perhaps? Yes, I mean, you're right. A, a common shared ethic or shared view of the world, um, you know, helps hold a, a community together, of course. Um, and a creation story helps to hold a community together. You know, every tribe has its own creation story. But now we're getting a common creation story from science that is believed in India and by Buddhists and atheists and Christians and Jews. It's amazing, really, that science is giving us a new creation story. And it's full of awe. It really is. How how we got here after 13.8 billion years. I mean, it's an amazing journey. And what here is, I mean, just two summers ago, they decided that the universe is two trillion galaxies big, each with hundreds of billions of stars. I mean, it's it's beyond words. And now 
we set up this Webb telescope, very shortly we're going to get pictures of light back, the original light of the universe. I mean, that's just so stunning. So it's around this new creation story that all our tribes can gather. And that doesn't mean you have to throw out the other creation stories from the Bible or from whatever tradition, add them to the pot. Uh, and for example, even Genesis 1, which is a, a cosmology, it's a creation story, it has some important lessons after everything, after the sun is there, it's good. After the plants are there, it's good. The animals, it's good. And when humans came on board and everything was here, it says it's very good. And that word in Hebrew can also be translated very beautiful. Yes. So those are lessons to be learned from any creation story. And so um, I think that we're at this time where we can, again, combine the resources of the wisdom traditions of the world with science and maybe come up with a common appreciation that, hey, this is the only planet we've got that looks uh, that looks uh, ha hospitable. Why don't we, you know, try to keep it? Yes. <laughs> and maybe that would create a new sense of a common ethic. So, and so, I think that's what the struggle about climate change is about. Yeah. So do you, do you sense that people who are almost rebelling and uh, talking about intelligent design and creationism and refuting, you know, in a sense, a militant Taliban, Taliban, Taliban fundamentalism is yeah. going right across the world, isn't it? There's, you've got at one it side is. the extreme liberals and the other side the extreme re reductionists, really. Yes. And is that a sign that things are starting to work, which is why people dig in and cling to the, yeah. the bizarre but secure? Yeah. Or is that actually something to be concerned about? Well, both. I think it is uh, a sign. And, and it is worrying, of course, because we have this reptilian brain in us that is on utterly visible today on live TV of the war in Ukraine, you see, of how, how base humans can be. You know, Thomas Aquinas said, one human being can do more evil than all the other species put together. Yeah. Wow, what a statement. And he said it 700 years before Hitler or Stalin or Pol Pot or Putin. How did he know that back in the 13th century? Because he recognized our brilliance, that we do have this creativity, this imagination, and this intellect. And with it, we can destroy terribly. I mean, you know, whales have been 56 million years longer than we have, and they haven't invented nuclear weapons. Yeah. So what's wrong with them? Yeah. <laughs> Are they stupid or is something, there's something about us? We've got this reptilian brain that wants to dominate. And um, we have to teach it to kind of chill out at times so that the mammal brain, which is half as old, which is capable of kindness and family and kinship and compassion, that this can assert itself. And that's what I see all the great spiritual teachers of the world, you know, the Buddha, well, the Dalai Lama. He says, we can do away with all religion, but we can't do away with compassion. Yeah. Compassion is my religion. And of course, Jesus said, be you compassionate, it's compassion. And the, the Jewish tree of the prophets talk about compassion and it's about relieving the suffering of, of, of others. So compassion is there. It's in all the religions. And that's something, but it, it demands a mammal brain. It, it, uh, reptiles are not real good at compassion, but they're very good at lying in the sun. They're good at solitude. And that's the key. That's where meditation comes in. Meditation calms a reptilian brain. Nice crocodile, nice crocodile, chill out now. We have other things to do, like to care for one another. And um, 
that's uh, that's compassion. And I think also bringing the divine feminine back. We have this this um, uh, unbalanced situation of patriarchy and of of men defining themselves too much in terms of the reptilian brain of win and lose and uh, being out of touch with their own powers of compassion. But compassion, you know, Hebrew and Arabic comes from the word for womb. So it's about mammals, the womb people. We have a special gift for compassion. And this is what all these spiritual teachers from all cultures are really trying to tell us, trying to shake us up and say, grow up and practice compassion at least as much as competition. Interesting. I, I could talk to you all night, and but I have to respect <laughs> all of your time. So, um, so tell me a little bit. You've obviously written hundred, well, thirty nine books, which is quite a, an achievement, given I'm struggling over two. Um, but <laughs> I, you've written another one recently. Can you tell us a bit about? That? I have. Yeah. Well, what this is is a collection of my uh, works over the years. This is uh, it's called Essential Writings on Creation Spirituality, Matthew Fox. So it's part of a series called Modern Spiritual Master Series, published by Orbis Books. And um, Thich Nhat Hanh and some wonderful people are in that series, so I'm honored to be included. But it's excerpts from some of these 39 books over the years. And, um, uh, and it begins with the introduction on me by, by a third party, a fine um, writer, Charles Burak, who's a, a poet and a philosopher in his own right. And he's also Jewish, so he has a perspective, I think, of my life that's fresh and not biased because it's an outsider, you may say. But um, yeah, so that's what the book's about. It is the summary of my 39 books in one book. So um, it, it jumps around and talks about many of these things we've talked about and the mystics that I've been trying to uncover, taking the treasure from the burning building of the church. People like Julian of Norris, who's amazing. She was writing about the motherhood of God. She was a feminist in the 14th century. And she was the first woman to write a book in English, but it wasn't published for 300 years. No. Long, way to, long time to wait for your first book review, I'd like to say. But um, she was an amazing, amazing um, original thinker. And uh, the, you, you British, you Brits should be very proud of her. And of uh, course, in true British fashion, we have no idea who she is. So there you are. Well, there you go. That's often the way that we're... <laughs> Very cultured and very ignorant at the same time. It's, it's, but there's something about that so that duality, that synchronicity that you were talking about earlier, that, that we, have, we can do great things and we can do terrible things. It's just, it's, it's a particular nature of ours. And exactly. That's in common as the human condition, isn't it? Where some things are more cultural or socio, sociological, but actually that capacity is... In a great evening, right there. Good. I saw a sentence from one of your statements. I loved it. Choices rather than rules. Choices rather than rules. That's straight from your mouth, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, you know, in Deuteronomy, it says, I put before you um, life and death, choose life. Yes. You know, so it's a choice. And it's not automatic. It's not easy, you know, and it's not necessarily the dominant uh, philosophy that's floating around, you know. Um, so like, let me tell you one story about your sister, Julian. And it's, it's uh, recalled on the cover of my book. This is the most previous book I wrote. Julian Norris, Wisdom in a Time of Pandemic and Beyond. I wrote this during the pandemic. She had this vision of a ball in her palm of her hand that was glowing, the size of a, of a pecan, she said. Of a, um, yeah, and then she said, 
what is this? And the answer she got was, this is a whole universe. This is everything that it exists. And she said, but it's so fragile. How will it stay together? And the answer she got was, love keeps it together. Mm. Now, I just love that because we're talking about science. We talk about the Webb telescope. She had this cosmic sense, you see, these great mystics do. We talk about the whole cosmos. What is keeping it together? You know, well, you know, you can say gravity, okay, but maybe maybe gravity is another word for love. Don't we fall into love, don't we? And it's something organic and natural that's built into the universe. And it's hey, it's, it's, it's interesting because huh? it's interesting because you're tapping into Christopher Nolan's ideas in, in the film Interstellar, there, wasn't he? When he talked about um love being the, the fourth force, you know, weak nuclear power electromagnetism uh-huh. and such gravity and love and it's 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 quite an interesting concept which i think people initially sneer at because of the word uh-huh. but it's, yes well the word's been so overused and exactly. misused and soap operas and all the rest yeah but that's where you have to kind of bury you get yourself deeper into it and it really means love justice in the jewish tradition it means love justice and kindness yes. and justice and uh compassion is that way it's not just it's not about pity it's about balance, interdependence. And that's a, an important word in today's science, interdependence. So that's yeah. the real basis of compassion. We treat each other, you know, the way we want to be treated. But Eckhart, Meister Eckhart says, whatever happens to another, whether it be a joy or a sorrow, happens to me. Hmm. But that's compassion. It's about sharing joy. It's about solidarity around joy. But it's also about so- solidarity around grief. Yes. And we see this happening in Ukraine today. I mean, for all the horrors, there's also the stories of, of the courage of the people yeah. and of the, the generosity of the Polish people and others taking in all these migrants and everything. Oh, my goodness. It's the best and the worst. Yes. Well, that's Dickens, isn't it? Best and the worst of times. Of times, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's turned it always, and it always is. Maybe it always will be, perhaps. And maybe, maybe that's so. part of our essential journey as a, as a species. I don't yeah. know. It's strange, isn't it? Um, but the problem today is our species is facing extinction. I yes. mean, this is no question. You know, well, it's these not are facing really it. big stakes it. we're at. What's yeah. that? And, we're not and with nuclear it, war also it. being threatened, you know, my yeah. God, that's all we need on top of climate change is yeah. nuclear yes. war. Come on. But there's always, there's always wars. I think there's something like 20 wars going on at the moment. This is just the one we're talking about. And I think that's yeah. another thing of the human condition, isn't it? It's the, um, the degree to which we have selective blindness politically about what we are doing um i could talk to you all day but i'm not going to people who want to know more about you should go and have a look at a website whose address is matthewfox.org it's a great name it's very interesting it's very easy to spell uh, and there are <laughs> thousands of books and interesting bits and pieces from the daily om right through to um all sorts of bits and pieces and you inspired me to buy your book so that's now already already in my kindle um <laughs> chart so obviously that book you mentioned is and now available on amazon so that's absolutely brilliant and um i'm always daunted when i see someone from the religious fraternity as it were um lined up to be a podcast host but actually i think what, what you've expressed today this idea of spirituality is just so much more powerful and so much more enabling than um, the usual religious diatribe i think that's been really fascinating <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much, Matthew, for joining us. And um, thank you so much for your time. You bet. Carry you on take your work. Take okay. care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. 
Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.